So we are in a series called Entrusted. It's a stewardship series. So Entrusted. So today the the sermon title is Entrusted and Accountable. Okay, so we're going to be studying Matthew 25. So if you want to get your Bibles there, Matthew 25, we're going to be doing a, a, a talking about a parable that many of you have heard before, the three bags of gold or the talents. Um, but the definition for steward is this. It's a noun. It's someone who manages property or other affairs for someone else. It requires authority to be handed down from the owner. Then the owner gives the steward authority to represent them. So when something is given to you from someone, so if you're going to be a steward of something, someone who owns that something's handing it to you, and you get the privilege, honor, responsibility, and you're accountable for it to represent them in the affairs of that. So if I hand something over and I say, I need you to be a good steward of this, then what you're saying is, okay, you can trust me. I'll be responsible with this. I'm going to represent you in this affair, and I'm going to carry it out. That's what it means to be a steward. And really, when we start thinking about it, our life boils down to stewardship. If any of you are in ministry, it boils down to stewardship. If any of you are married, it boils down to stewardship. If any of you have children, it boils down to... If any of you are alive and breathing here today, you're a steward. A steward of the life given to you from your Creator. Come on. So stewardship applies to all of us. This is an important thing that we really need to understand. So um, stewardship is a verb. It's the process of being responsible and accountable. That's what we're going to talk about today, being responsible and accountable with someone else's property while it is entrusted. One of the examples I gave to you, um, if you are an elder or uh, associate pastor of the church, please stand up. They're all over here right now. We've got to spread out better, I guess. Okay. So we have elders and associate pastors along with myself as, as, as the lead pastor. We, are all, we all make up what's called an elder team. We are elders. The word elder in the New Testament talks about being as an overseer. As an overseer, we are a steward of this church. This is not my church. God called me to plan it, and people say all the time, oh, your church, it's not mine. I do not own this. This is God's. As long as it's God's, and he will bless it. As long as it becomes mine, it's going to die. So here's the thing. This is God's house, God's people, God's church. And we are entrusted with his body to oversee. That's our responsibility. That's the burden that we have. And we are all responsible to each other and accountable to each other for leading in the direction that, we're supposed to, that this is supposed to go. So, all right. So that's what stewardship is. That's the definition we talked about last week. So here we go. We're going to go right into Matthew 25. So Matthew 25 says this. Make sure. All right, good. For the kingdom of heaven is like. So this is New King James for this verse. I'm going to show you two different um, verses here. The same verse, two, two different translations. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who has called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. One of the things that I love how the New King James is, is, translates the, 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 the Hebrew of this is one of the things that Jesus constantly reminded us is this, the kingdom of heaven is like. That's why I underlined it. Well, I did not there, so you're welcome to underline it for yourself. But it's underlined in my notes. The kingdom of heaven. And in fact, I was so inspired by this this morning. I was looking at it. I'm like, man, I don't have, this is not what my sermon's about, but I really feel drawn to this kingdom of heaven. How many times Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like? The kingdom of heaven is like. And what he's trying to get a whole people. So here's the deal. You live in, in right now, in the 21st century where we live right now, do you think that this is like the kingdom of heaven that, that Jesus is teaching about? So he's trying to tell, even then, in the first century, with the Jews, they were still caught up in all the wrong things, and Jesus was trying to get them, the kingdom of heaven is different than what you're living life now. What you got going around in the world right now, and all the, the craziness that America just keeps taking on, as if we've got to be the craziest ones out there, Right? And so what happens is he says, this is not how the kingdom of heaven. So what he wants, he, he wants us to do is become kingdom citizens and live in such a way that the kingdom of heaven is like this. So here's, how I want, here's what, what the kingdom of heaven is like. You're living on earth, but I want you to bring the kingdom down here and I want you to live like kingdom citizens. The kingdom of heaven is just like this. 
a man has five, you know, all these bags of gold and he distributes them. And then he's going to go into further detail. So the NIV, I like how it says, it says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Servants. If I'm a steward, I'm a servant. Well, guess what? If you're alive and you're a believer and you believe in God, you're a servant to him already. Servant is to have submitted yourself. So the Bible says that whoever confesses Jesus as Lord, he shall be saved, right? So one, for salvation, I must first confess. And it's not just about me saying, okay, Jesus is Lord. It's about placing him as the Lord of your life. So you cannot be saved without Jesus being the Lord of your life. And he's the Lord, then he's the boss, and you're what? A servant, right? So the thing is, is that again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. So God is calling his servants, and he's entrusting. So the word entrust here, yep, I got it, entrusted. All right. Everybody, when I count to three, you're going to say out loud the, the, the Greek word in parentheses, all right? One, two, three. What? You guys aren't making any sense to me at all. All right, that word, okay. So, <laughs> entrusted in Greek is to commit to another, to hand over authority, but there's a bunch of different things that are, are drawn out in here. So, to be entrusted, it requires an authority. So for me to be entrusted, someone has to have an authority over me. So there has to be an, I'm under an authority. So for me to be entrusted, someone's going to have an authority because they own the possession. They own whatever it is, whether it's a money, it's a banking account, whether it's a possession or a trade or whatever it is. Somebody says, hey, would you take care of my guitar? And they hand me a guitar. It's been entrusted. It's not mine. The point is, is whatever is being entrusted to me is not mine. I'm under the authority of the owner on that particular issue. You guys got me? You following me? The second thing about this is this. To be entrusted requires being trusted. Entrusted automatically means that you have to be a, a trusted person here. Oof. I want you to think for a moment. Who would you entrust? I want you to right now picture your most valuable possession whatever you maybe it's or or let's say um you have some money in the bank account because if you don't have any money in the bank account you could entrust that to anybody it wouldn't matter let's pretend that you have a lot of money for a moment most of us are like yeah, that's not me so if you had a whole bunch of money who would you entrust that with if you had to you, you emptied out your entire account put it in cash so there's no traceable way who would you hand that to that you could trust with it i could trust I want you to think about that. Who would you trust your entire savings? Let's just pretend that the government for a moment gave you your entire retirement all at one moment in a lump sum. Who would you entrust that with if you had to give it to somebody else to entrust it? That's what I'm wanting you to think, right? A lot of times we sit there and go, oh, no one, right? Sometimes we might, might be like, I don't even know if I trust myself with that. Is that what you guys are talking about over here? <laughs> I hear it, okay. All right, so, but, but the point is, is this. Do you have somebody in your life that you can truly trust? And my second question to you is this. Are you trustworthy to someone else? Are you someone else's trust person? Because if not, trust is a, a part of character. Trust, to trust someone is, a, is the third part of, of my favorite definition of character from Henry Blackaby. He says, character is this, what you do when no one's looking, what you stand for when everyone's looking, third part, what you can be trusted with, and who you desire to be. If you don't desire to be any better than what you are, you'll never get there. If you never have a goal of like saying, I, I remember my first goal is, is my granddaddy. I said, man, if I could be half the man my granddaddy is, half the father, half the husband, I'll be doing something right in this life. Just half. That was my first goal. God, I just want, I knew I wasn't measuring up to half. 
God, I know I'm not even close to half. And so I don't want to like try to take on the full thing. That's a little overwhelming. God, I just want to be half the man that that guy is. I wish that people would look at me one day and have half of the respect that they had for him. And if you knew my grandfather, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know anybody that didn't love my grandfather. So, and then also to be entrusted here requires transference, to be transferred. You have to have, one, there's a person who has something. They have the authority. They have to trust you, and then they have to actually hand it over. Like, yeah, I trust you, but I'm not going to hand this over. So to be entrusted with a good, it has to actually be transferred over to you, right? So it has to be where you are a representation. So then I started asking this question, well, what has God entrusted us with? I want you to think for a moment, and this is kind of a a little bit of a recap into last week. If you were here last week, you, you probably already know the answers, but here's the thing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 26, the earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. The earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. How many of you are on the earth right now? The earth and everything on it, right? So what does that mean? You belong to God. Whether you follow him or not, you still belong to him. He created this. He created you and everything. So here's the deal. Not only... Do I belong to the Lord? Guess what? Because he gave me breath. I'm, I'm a steward of this life. But guess what? I'm lucky enough to have married an amazing woman. As frustrating as she is. She's not in the room so I can say that. I am married to an amazing woman. And I'm also a steward. She belongs to God before she ever belonged to me. So I'm a steward of our marriage. And really, when I start looking at it, what I'm going to be accountable for, since we're talking about entrusted and accountable, I'm going to be held accountable on the level of love I gave her because that's the God's requirement. He says, here's the deal. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. He didn't say anything else. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that are said, but when he talks about husbands, what does he say? Over and over and over and over, he says this, you are to love her. Like Christ loved the church. That's, that's, so when I stand before God, he's going to measure my, the success of this. The accountability that I'm going to have is how I love my wife. Not how much money I made. Not how well the house was built. Not, not how, how, how I barbecued in the backyard. But how I loved my wife. Now, the wife, on the other side, hers is that submission and respect. The wife will stand before God and be held accountable on how well she submitted and respected her husband. You, you would be amazed at how many times I've done counseling over the years, and, 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 and the wife gets sometimes pretty, pretty rough about, like, I'm not submitting. And I'm like, well... You wanted biblical counseling. I want Christian counseling. Well, then that means you want biblical counseling. The Bible says you are to submit. Well, I don't want to. I think you're the problem. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you know how this works or not. You know, it's a... Well, if you knew my husband, listen, lady, I didn't marry him. You chose him. Just remember, you could have said no, too. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> but but on, on, the, on a serious note, when we, we don't realize that when we stand before God, we are accountable to Him on what we did in this marriage. You didn't have to get married. The Bible says, hey, Paul says it's better if you don't get married, then you can use your entire life to serve God. But you're not sinning if you do get married. That's in 1 Corinthians 7 if you want to look it up later. And he says, listen, but those people, what he's saying is those people who get married will have trouble. If if you've been married or are married, how many of you can agree that there's trouble in marriage? Come on, give me an amen. (laughs) See what he says, and he goes, and I want to save you from that. But the deal is, is I made the choice to marry an infuriating woman that I love to pieces. My job is to love her even though she's infuriating. Her job is to respect me though I'm an idiot. 
all the time. Come on. So the thing is, is then guess what? Now we go to that next level. What else did God entrust me? He entrusted me with children. Guess what? They were created by him just like I and just like my wife. So guess what? They're not mine either. I have been entrusted. Children, you got to listen up though. I've been entrusted with children to raise them up in the way that God has decided. They're his children before they're my children. So my responsibility as a, as, a, as a Christian parent, as a biblical parent, it's my responsibility to raise them up in the way that God has shown. We have a lot of parents that, that really just like, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to provide for you, and I'm supposed to make sure that you, you know, you. We, we, we think as a parent that we're supposed to give our kids everything that they want. I, I did not make my kids very happy this week. We were ramping up for the sheep show at the state fair. They had to go out and wash the sheep. And, I, and one by one, they're like, Dad, I, I don't know that I want to show sheep anymore. And I said, that's okay. I don't want to pay your phone bill. And I don't want to drive you to practice at 4 o'clock in the, or 6 o'clock in the morning. And I don't want to pick you up after practice either. So I said, here's the deal. You were born on a farm whether you liked it or not. So there's a farm thing that's going to happen here. You're going to be on the farm, and you're going to work on the farm. But I'm not going to make you work on the farm. So if you don't want to work on the farm, that's great. But I'm not doing any extracurricular activities, and I'm not paying for any phones. And I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. You can sit in the house and write on a piece of paper and sit there and be bored to death. But one day you'll look back and say, Dad, thank you for making me work. Because one of the things is, is that my kids are going to have a step up on a lot of other kids because they're not made to work and they're not made to have responsibilities. My kids are not happy with me. Well, so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm like, I'm not responsible for so-and-so. I'm responsible for you and I'll answer to God for that. Parents, remember that. You are not responsible for my kids. I'm not responsible for your kids. But you're you will stand before God one day and have an account on how good of a steward you were with your life, with your spouse, and with your children. That's a tough lesson for all of us. We're accountable. So, I was supposed to be about four slides in. So, worship took long. I'm all amped up. So, guys, if you, if you have an appointment at noon, just sneak out. It's all right. So, Matthew 25. So, we're going to go a little bit further here. So, we're going to talk about a couple of different things about what entrusted means. So, in Matthew here, it says in verse, verse 15, it says this, to, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Whew. Okay. I'm going to read that part again. Each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work, gained five bags more. So also with the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. The first thing I'm going to bring out of the, the passage today is this. You're entrusted an amount according to your ability. First thing, I was sitting there going, why different accounts? Why different amounts, I mean? Why different amounts? Why is there different amounts? That doesn't seem fair. Does anybody else kind of halfway say, well, that doesn't, doesn't seem real fair right down the line? Anybody else? Am I the only one that asked that question and everybody else is lying? Okay, that's all right. All right, lying is another sermon for another time. So, so here's the thing is that when I started looking at this, I'm like, that doesn't really seem fair. He gave one this amount, one this amount, one this amount. Well, <laughs> this isn't about being fair. It's about what you can be trusted with. It's not about, this isn't about like, well, I want to make equality with everybody. I have a, there's a lot of, there's a huge movement of college age kids right now that want, want every, like, let's take all the money from the rich people and make us all, and, and raise, the, the, raise the poverty level, and let's all be on an equal scale. They're, they're, well, it's not equal because you haven't worked a day in your life and don't really show much uh, energy and effort wanting to, 
and then you're wanting to take somebody who worked their whole life and take away, that's, that's, not, that's not fair either, is it? Here's the, here's the reality of what we're dealing with. Is a lot of people say, God, I want you to give me the 10 talents. God, I want you to give me the five bags of gold. He says, I got to know if I can trust you with one. Can I even trust you with one bag of gold? See, it's the master's gold. The master can do whatever he wants with it. If he says, I'm not giving any of it to any of you, he's perfectly just in doing that, isn't he? See, what happens is he gives us an amount according to our ability, and not everyone can be trusted with the same amount. See, what I hope that we can do out of this is just start saying, okay, God, what is, God, what's my trustworthy level here? Can you trust me? I remember when I started thinking about as a pastor, because it's not just about preaching and standing on a stage and, 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 and jumping around and, and, and preaching a sermon. I, there's, there, you're entrusted. Entrusted with so much. And it's like, so, so there's a, 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 a crazy burden that goes with being a pastor of any kind, whether it's student pastor or uh, children's pastor or worship pastor, whatever. It, there's an amazing burden that comes upon that because you are responsible and accountable. You've been entrusted with something precious. The, the word ability in, in Greek has a root word of dynamis. Dynamis is the word that's often used as, as for power, right? So, but what's really I find interesting here is that he was talking about according to their ability, the, the word ability, dynamis, but it has dynamisiose is how that you would pronounce that word. This word is used in a wide variety uh, in the New Testament, but it, it starts with a, an understanding that there's a power there. That's the word dynamis. And then it be, goes on further and it starts suggesting a competency, being competent. Is that important to be competent? If you're not very competent, you don't hold a job very long. All you youngsters that are just kind of getting into the work field, competency is a pretty important aspect of holding it. You may be able to get it, but holding it is through competency, that you're competent, you're able to do this. The word competency is not only having an ability, but also having the knowledge and skill to perform an activity successfully. Anybody who owns a business are looking for competent people. And so if you are on the other side and you're wanting to get hired by that, then remember that you need to, to show a competent, an ability to do it. So one of the things that as I was thinking about this competency, it reminded me of what we often look for in leaders and ministers in the church. The first thing that I'm always looking for is this called. Called. Are they called by God? See, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm called by God to be here at this time to this group of people at this church. I know it. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's no doubt in my mind. So when I when, when the devil tries to get a seat at my table and he starts to try to tell me otherwise, I can say, yeah, you're a liar. Go back to hell where you came from. I know I'm supposed to be doing this. No matter how hard it is right now, no matter how I feel right now, I know I'm called to this. So that calling gets you through all the tough times. The second part is this, character. I preach this to my, my staff and my leadership all the time. You cannot minister beyond your character. When your character fails and falls, then, then so do you because... If I am failing at character, then what am I really going to teach anybody when really this is about growing up and being mature believers? How can I disciple anybody if I don't have good character? The, the third one is competent, which I just brought up. The fourth one is compatible. Are they compatible with other people? Do they play nice? One of the things that drives me crazy is people who are territorial. They get in and they're like, this is mine. No, it's not. It's God's. How many times I've had to fire a volunteer? Volunteer! Because they thought it was their ministry. Hold on, this isn't even my church. How can this be your ministry? You can share that room. I had somebody with the audacity to lock. Like They went and got a lock for a Sunday school classroom. Not here. 
a lock. They, I walk over to a Sunday school classroom and I walk and it's, I'm locked out. The pastor's locked out of a classroom. Well, that's my classroom. This ain't not, that's not your, did you pay? Okay, you want to buy this classroom? Hmm. What's the, you didn't buy it, you didn't pay for it. So what happens is sometimes we don't play nice with other people. So compatibility is a, a really important thing. And the last one is committed. It's really easy to start well. It's a whole nother thing to finish well. Have you ever noticed that? You watch some of those long-distance runners, and they start off real good, but they don't ever finish the race. Being, it takes commitment to finish a race. So I ask this very important question. So if I am entrusted, the amount is based upon my ability, can I grow in ability? And the answer is yes, you can. Number one, I, I just kind of broke this down into the four simple steps. First, become trustworthy. <laughs> if you're not trustworthy, there is nowhere to go from there. So you got to develop. So here's the deal. I tell my kids all the time, don't lie. I don't care how bad it is. Don't you lie to me. Because if you lie, I can't trust you. At least let me know I can trust your words. If you can't be trusted in words, how can I give you anything? Think about this, for every one of you, adults included, I can't tell you how many knuckle-headed adults will lie to my face. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I know you're lying to me. If I can't trust you with words, how can I trust you with anything? It starts with what comes out of your mouth. So first, make sure you tell the truth. No matter what, I remember my dad, Daniel, you better tell the truth no matter what. Yes. Did you do it? Yes. I remember a principal right when I was about to get a spanking. If I got a spanking at school, I definitely got one at home. So I knew I was, I was down for two. I already knew I was going to get two. So I remember being in the principal's office, and, and all the kids were lying. And it came down to I was the last, oh, Yoder. I was the last one on the line. And he says, oh, Yoder, I know you won't lie to me. I'm like, oh, come on. He did this. I did this. That person did this. Let's go get this over with. You know, I mean, it's like. Man, because, because I knew I could, you know, hey, might as well, I want to be known that I can be trusted with my words. That's what, at least I can be trusted with that. Second, second, second step is work hard. A lot of people are not willing to work hard. I can remember when God called me to be a pastor, I never read more books. Pastor Paul and I over here, we have a little competition going, and he's a much faster reader than I am. I mean, I think it's the age, and he's just, you know, <laughs> but... I, I got a lot, lo, you know, I got to catch up and, 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 but anyways, so he'll be like, hey, pastor, have you read this book? I'm like, yes, I did. It was really good, especially that third chapter, you know, and then I was like, hey, have you read this book? And he's like, yeah, that was a really good one. And then all of a sudden he was like, did you read this book? No, nope, but I'm going to now. I mean, so what, what the thing is, is that we're constantly wanting to grow. If you don't want to grow, you're stagnant. As a pastor, I wanted to learn, how do I preach better? How do I teach better? How do I become more effective? How do I lead better? How do I make good decisions? How do I get more organized? Because I know that I'm a squirrel. You know, I mean, so I read everything and learned everything, and I sat under all kinds of teachings in my life. If you want to grow, you can, but you're going to have to put some work into it. We have way too many lazy people unwilling to work at anything, and they wonder why God only entrusts them with one bag. You want more than one bag, then put some effort into it. All right, good. Glad we got that down. Step three is learn. Learn. Not only am I going to have to work hard at it, but I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be taught. And the last one is this, be coachable. Be coachable. I can't tell you how many times I've come into a, a, a marriage that was struggling and they're just not coachable. You, you tell someone, I, I know. Then why are you in my office? If you know everything, then why are you sitting here? Think about this. If I'm struggling, I need to be honest about that struggle and say, I need help. Every one of us. My wife and I went to marriage counseling because we needed it. And if we were not coachable, we would not be married today. I can promise you that. I was an idiot, and she was crazy. <laughs> Those two things don't work well together. She
she's a lion in personality and I'm an otter having a good old time laughing and she's trying to eat me. That's how that works in a home sometimes. So what I'm wanting you to understand is that if you're not coachable, there's no growth for you. Isn't it nice when we can have like a really serious moment and like, wow, I just got sucker punched in the gut and then turn around and laugh about it? I learned that from one of my mentors. He, I was like, man, he just whooped us and I'm laughing. I've never been in so much pain in my rear and in my stomach at the same time, you know? We're going to get like, like abs of steel going on here. So, <clears throat> buns of steel and abs of steel. Okay, okay, all right, so let me go on. We're going to go back in the passage. It's all worship's fault. It's all worship team's fault. Got, got me really amped up today. Matthew 25, verses 19, it says this. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts. Settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought them, brought the other five. Master, he says, you entrusted me with five bags, and the man, uh, and I, and I, and I uh, see I have gained you five more. Then the man with two bags also came and said, Master, see, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold, and see, I have gained two more. So to be entrusted, you're accountable for the amount you accepted. The man who received five is accountable for the five and what he does with the five. The man who received two is accountable for the two and what he did. So you're uh, accountable for what you received and what you've done with what you've received. What have you done to enrich your marriage, all of you married couples? What have you done to enrich that? What have you done in, in, in parenting to help make sure that your kids have the faith that they're kind of supposed to have and that they become the kind of citizens that they should be? So we're accountable for what we have received. I didn't get to the one man yet. It's coming. <laughs> but we're accountable for the amount we've accepted. So he said settling accounts. The, the word for accounts is scenario, uh, is, is, is how I'm saying it anyways, um, to give an account of how you used money. In this, can, in this sense, it was for money. So what we are accountable for, what we will have to give an account for, is everything that we're a steward of. I'm going to be, I'm going to have to settle an account before God with my life, with being a husband, being a father, being a pastor. Everything that God has entrusted to us comes with accountability. Wouldn't it be great if it wasn't? I mean, if there was no accountability, we could do whatever he wanted to do, and there's no consequences. But what people don't like to talk about and what preachers don't like to preach about is that there's going to be a day of account. There's going to be a day of reckoning. There's going to be a day when I stand before God and have to give an account. And the thing is, is that when preachers are failing to preach about this, when they're failing to tell you that there's going to be a day and you're going to be accountable and this is what you're accountable for, then there's going to be a whole bunch of people showing up, standing before God, not ready. And if we're honest, how many of you right now today say, I'm absolutely ready to give a full account on all areas of my life? Now, there's maybe a handful of us, but, but there's not a, lot of, not a lot of people are ready to do that. Because what happens is we immediately begin to see some areas in our life that we could be better as a steward, right? Am I right? How many of you right now say, man, there's some areas that I could be better as a steward? See, that's the point, and that's what we want to do is say, okay, I, I know there's room for growth in this. That's, that's my goal, is to help hopefully show you some areas in your life that, hey, I could be a better steward in my marriage. I could be a better steward in my parenting. I could be a better steward as a minister. I could be a better steward as just a citizen. All right, so Matthew 25, let's keep moving. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is, what belongs 
to you. This turns out great for him. I want you to notice the first thing of this. Did you guys notice the excuses? Right? First things that usually, when we don't, when we don't do real well at something, or, or, or if your boss ever calls you in and says, hey man, what are you doing? And, and you know that you haven't been managing this well, right? I haven't been doing very well. The first thing that we want to do is come up with what? Excuses. Or we want to shift blame, especially if somebody's not there. Well, you know, to be all honest, you know, it was so-and-so. And, and, and that's not good leadership. Good leadership good, good, is being like, yeah, yeah, I totally dropped it. I totally dropped the ball here. But this man was like, hey, uh, I'm, he's justifying, rationalizing. We try to use logic to get out of the accountability. We justify our reasons. A lot of people will justify their sin. Well, I'm sinning, but so is so-and-so. Yeah, they're standing before God too. You didn't gain any ground. Or I like the one where it's like, well, my sin's not as bad as theirs, according to you or according to God. Because I'm pretty sure you just doubled down on your sin the moment that you threw somebody else under the bus. I'm pretty sure that's, a, that's another one. So we'll just add that to the list here. Right? A lot of times we try to find that scapegoat. And so here's a guy, he's like, man. So, but what I want to bring to your attention is that he really gives the real reason here of why he didn't do it. So I was afraid. Do you know how many, I was doing a study a while back um, on evangelism and how many Christians share their faith. And it talked about the dwindling percentages of church-going Christians actually sharing their faith. And then we start looking, then we take that, and then we put that here, so people aren't sharing their faith anymore. And then you come over here and you see the statistic that there are 4,000 to 10,000 churches that shut down every single year. That's from 75 to 150 a week in America, churches shutting down. There's only 1,000 on average, 1,000 churches that are starting. 1,000 churches a year start while 4,000 on a low level and 10,000 on a high shut down. Do the math. Why? Because we're not sharing our faith, right? So I started looking at that, and I started asking people, why don't you share your faith? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. You're afraid of what? I'm afraid of being rejected, okay? I'm afraid of being inadequate. What if I'm not good enough? I'm afraid, of, I'm afraid of failing. What if I go out there and say the wrong thing? I promise you, you won't lead anyone to Jesus by saying nothing. Do we trust God enough to give us the words that we need to share? So we say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm inadequate. You had a bunch of fishermen leading the world to Christ. Come on. So we have fear of failure, fear of being alone, fear of not being good enough. I want to ask you this. How many of you have struggled with fear? Let's be honest. Be honest in the house because I know my, my greatest fear is fear of failure. Fear of failure. I remember I went to a leadership conference and they said, pastors, what's your greatest fear? Share it to the person next to you. I'm like, I don't know this guy. But I'm an otter, so who cares? You know, hey, you know, so my, my greatest fear was failing. When the moment I told them, that fear no longer had a hold on me. I'm like, wow, that felt really good to just get that out. Now it's out there, and it's, it's, it's like a shadow. The shadow looks so big and scary, and then all of a sudden when you bring it to the light, you realize that it's just a little tiny thing making this big shadow in your life. The Bible says in 1 John 4.18 that God's perfect love drives out all fear. See, if you're afraid, then you have let somebody sit at your table that doesn't belong at your table. I brought this book up because I wanted to remind, remind myself to say that. In September, we're going to be doing a study on don't give the enemy a foot or a seat at your table. 
And one of the things that I've learned from this book that Pastor Paul and I are reading, read, and uh, one of the amazing things about this is that he talks about how God, in, in Psalm 23, how he puts us at the table in his presence, in the presence of our enemies, but our enemies aren't supposed to be at the table. And why are we giving them a seat at the table? Why am I allowing my enemy to tell me that I'm not good enough? Why am I listening to a murderer? How many of you guys have the practice of listening to a murderer? How many of you would, 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 would like to take time and listen to a liar? Take it. How many of you want to take advice from a liar? But that's what we're doing. We're allowing a liar, the father of lies, and a murderer from the beginning to speak into our lives, and we're listening. The moment you say, I'm not good enough, that's the enemy talking, not God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139. He knit you together. He took his time. He loves you. So the moment you begin to listen to the enemy, you put the wrong person at your table. So if you're afraid, that fear isn't coming from God. It's coming from your enemy. And this man stood before God in account for this one bag of gold, and he had a harsh Harsh reality. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Come on, that's not good. Wicked, lazy servant. Last thing I want to do is stand before God and he says, you were a lazy husband. You were a lazy father and you were a lazy minister. I don't want to to stand before God and him ever to say I was lazy. I may not know more than the next guy, but I sure think I can work just as hard as the next guy. God, I'm kind of a dumb redneck that likes to hunt and fish a lot, so God, you know, help me out. Make it clear. I don't want to be called lazy. And I sure don't want to be called wicked. You wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered. Well, then you should have put my money in deposit with the bankers so that when I returned and received it back, I would have received it with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and, the one who, uh, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from him and throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth." He says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And here's the deal. If we can't, if we can't handle under the understanding of standing in judgment before God, then we have skipped over a lot of places in the Bible. We have too many fluffy preaching and watered-down gospel preaching that hasn't talked about judgment day enough. We have a lot of... of, of, of Complacent believers that don't realize that they're going to stand before a holy God in judgment for what they've done with the talents given to them. Verse 21, his master says, so here's what I want us to now, we're going to kind of turn this over to the other side, is is, is how does God measure success? Master replied, well done. So he speaks to the servant who brought 10. So I, I'm, I'm wanting you to, to you know, we're, we're going to this, this verse, 21. And so, and I know that I read 24 a little bit ago, but I had to read that before I got into the ending. So I kind of moved him around on you so you can go back and read it as a whole story later. But the master replied, well done. So the, those who, the one who took the five and turned it into 10 and the one who, who had two and turned it into four, what, 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 the, what the master replied to them, he says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want you to hear me. How does God measure success? And I, I love this question because a lot of times we think that God measures success. If you were excess, when we go to pastors' conferences, you know what the one question every pastor asks? How many do you run? What are we dealing with, cows? Are we talking about my sheep, how many sheep I have on my farm? Or are we talking about how many cows... Are, Daryl has, are, are, they, are, are people all of a sudden a bunch of animals? Are they just a number that's assigned to them on a Sunday morning? 
But that's, that's the measure of success the world has. He says the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is different than how the kingdom of earth measures success. We measure it in numbers. God measures it in faithfulness. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? So I remember Jared coming and says, I don't know if I'm ready for ministry. You remember that, Jared? Jared's like, I don't know if I can do this. I said, Jared, quit worrying about what's going to happen and just be faithful. Be faithful. Just be faithful. Leave the results. If the church grows, if it doesn't grow, if the ministry grows or doesn't grow, leave the growth up to God. Your success is measured in faithfulness. Faithfulness. Be faithful. If you've got one bag of gold, you say, I only got one talent. Be faithful. If God's given you a load of talent, be faithful. Whatever you have, be faithful. I love the story about Abraham. In, in Romans chapter 4, it began to talk about Abraham and how his, his faithfulness was accredited to him as righteousness. What happened is he was faithful, so God made him righteous. Be faithful. That's the measure of success with God. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. Well done. That's, that's like that verse... That's all I want. When I stand before God, I don't, I don't want crowns. I don't want nothing. I just want to hear out of my Savior's mouth, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all. That's, if, if, if I can stand there and all the messes that I've made of all kinds of things in my life, that he could say, well done as a man of God, well done as a father, well done as a husband, well done as a minister, well done. That's all I want. That's all, if that's all I get, I'm going to be happy in the kingdom of heaven. I just want well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to be faithful to the end. I forgot to push the slide. Now the next one. Verse, 20, verse 21, you have been faithful with a few things. So what he's, what, now we're going to talk about, and this is our, our last Two slides, I think. Yep, yep, last two slides, so we're almost there. We're almost home. How does God reward faithfulness? I, I really, when I, was, when I was looking at this, I love this. How does he reward it? So he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. What our problem with the young generation today, you young people listening? All right, good. You're on the front row. I expect a lot out of you. All right. Zach attack. All right, here we go. So what happens is this. What we often, the generation that we were, we're kind of seeing is this. I want the most maximum payment for the least amount of effort. And what he's saying is, I want to see if you can be faithful with a little so that I can know I can give you more. I remember when I had a sports car in high school and it broke down. My grandpa, and I tell this story often, my grandpa bought this ugly duckling, and we all, it was the ugliest thing in the world. It looked like a duck's head. It was so ugly. And it was yellow, and it was hideous. And I was a senior in high school, and I thought I was pretty popular and cool, and I did not want to be caught dead driving that thing to school. I think my grandpa did this on purpose, pretty sure. And I remember driving this dumb thing, and I, I drove it so hard. I was wanting to break it. I wanted it to die so that he would buy a different one. And I was so hard, and I remember coming around on a gravel road, and I'm flooring it, and I'm fishtailing, hoping I'm going to go into a ditch, and I almost sideswiped Grandpa in the work truck. <laughs> as I'm fear in my eyes, as the tail of Mr. Ducky Doo here is sliding towards his, and I'm like, oh, correct, oh, correct. And then I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh, I knew Grandpa was going to show up at the house after school, and he did. Oh. So sorry, Grandpa. I was playing around. He goes, son, let me tell you something. And I just, one statement, then went back to the house. He said, if you can't be trusted with a little, if you can't be trusted with this car, then why would God give you a better car? Think about that. And he went back up. I'm sitting there going, can we get it painted? I'm just, so, but I want you to think about this. So often we want God to start us off at the top 
right? We want God to give us the big house. But if I can't be faithful, I lived in a trailer before I ever got a house. I had a single wide. I had rotted out floors. I had window units to help out the unit that didn't want to work. I mean, I've lived, it was, hey, I was glad to have a house. But if I can't be faithful with that and I can't take care of that, then why would I ever have expected God to give me a larger house when we had more kids? We often, so often, we don't take care of what God has given us, and then we expect Him to give us more. Do you catch that? You've been faithful with a few. I will put you in charge of many. You've got to be faithful with a few before you ever get to the much. And then it goes on in the second thing, and it goes, His master replied, well done, a good faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Whew. Man, I love that. I love that. Not only I have to, I'm, I'm supposed to be faithful with what God has given me, then I'll be entrusted with more. But I think that even the better reward for being faithful is being able to share in God's happiness. Come share. See, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Be faithful with what you've been given. God will begin to increase what you've been given. He'll increase that ability. He'll increase that drive. He'll increase that ministry. There's a lot of churches that are dying because they can't be faithful with what they have. So, Be faithful with what you have. Be faithful. Be faithful. Develop. Grow. Let God work in your life. But even what's better than that is to be able to share in God's happiness. To be able to be sharing in His joy. So, where do we go from here? Most of us raised our hand just a few moments ago and said there's some areas in our life that we could be a better steward. So I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I would believe that most of us sitting in this room highly desire for God to tell us, well done. Am I right? Most of us would say, God, I just want you to say, well done. I want to I be faithful. Some of us have not spent enough time even discovering what our spiritual gifts are or how to use them. A lot of us have used our worship service almost the, the corporate worship sometimes this is this is the 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 beginning and the end of our development and we're not going into small groups or we're not doing daily devotions we're not growing outside of this and so then what it does is it takes years to do what you could have done in months and so we have a lot of believers that don't know much about their own faith or don't know much about their own gifting. They don't know much about how to serve or how to, how to, how to help or how to, to minister to other people. It starts in your home. And it starts with you. I want you to know right now the altar is open. And here's what I'm going to do. Guys, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in praying over each other and the laying on of hands. I believe in laying ourselves down. So as I begin to to open this altar in a lot of different ways, if you feel like that way is speaking to you and something that you can begin to do in your life, I'm going to encourage you to move out of your seat. Maybe some of you are thinking that maybe I need to be a better steward with just the life given to me. I need to make better choices. I've been making a lot of bad choices in my life, and I need to start making some better choices, and you're willing to surrender your choices over to God. God, I want to be a steward.